0: Man, Well, good morning, Coastal Community Church. Good to see you this morning. Man, isn't it great to sing praises to our Savior, Jesus Christ? And, uh, What a great Savior we have! Do me a favor, if you have your Bible, turn with me to John 14. And, uh, and children, we're glad you're in here with us this morning. A couple reminders: uh, if you would be praying for our missions team that's returning today from New Mexico, and uh, and just be in prayer for them as they return. And also pray for our children that are in children's camp. And that's part of the reason we did a family worship, is some of our children's workers are with them at children's camp, and uh, we haven't done that in. a long time, so be praying for them that both that they'll have safety as well as have a great time and also grow closer to Christ. And I want to remind you, uh, if you're here this morning and you're a member of Coastal Community Church, we're actually having a mid-year celebration, July the 15th, and want to, I hope you'll plan on attending that. And I've made that announcement because I also want to encourage you, if you've been at Coastal for a while or you're just starting to check it out or whatever, we we value membership. And uh, I really want to encourage you, if you're not yet a church member, uh, to consider that, okay, and the way we do that, it's actually a process at Coastal. We um, we uh, we offer two classes that you need, actually three classes that you need to go through, and then we have you follow up with a high level leader, one of our elder team members. And uh, man, it's a really great process. and And uh, I'm not going to teach the class now, but you know, we uh, we believe that membership is a commitment, and we want to encourage you to commit yourself to this local body of believers. And so, if you've never done that, and you're like, hey, I'd be interested in that," finding out more what it means to be a church member, do me a favor on the side of your bulletin on that Connect card. If you just say, Pastor Sean, I'd be interested in knowing more about membership, we'll follow up with you this week and make sure we get you plugged into the next class, and you can drop that tear off in the in, in the offering plate later in the service, okay? Um, ESPN gives out an award uh, every year. They have what they call their ESPY Awards. Uh, the, at the ESPY Awards several years ago, uh, they called this moment the greatest sports moment of the 20th century. They considered the greatest sports moment of the 20th century, the 1980 United States hockey team. Some of you in this room, your parents weren't even born yet. Okay, so I get that. But for those of us who have some vague recollections of that moment, uh, the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team was made up of mostly college players that were assembled just several months before, and they went up against the Russian or the Soviet hockey team, which was made up of many, many professionals. The Russian hockey team had won six of the previous seven Olympic gold, and in the semifinals, it's actually, it wasn't the final round, the U.S. Olympic hockey team defeated the Russian hockey team 4-3. to three by a guy by the name of Herb Brooks was the coach. Now you got to wonder like what did what did Herb Brooks say to that team on the eve or the moments just before that incredible game which ESPN has called the greatest sporting moment of the 20th century. Well, in 2004, there was a movie made called Miracle. Maybe you got to see it. it was a uh, um, Tried to recapture that game. It was an incredible movie. Of course, incredible moments. And uh, I want to show you a clip. This is Kurt Russell playing Herb Brooks. And actually, some of what he said is exactly what Herb Brooks said to that 1980 U.S. hockey team. Watch this. Great moments are born from great opportunity, and that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we play them ten times, they might win nine. But not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team. you were born to be hockey players, every one of you, and you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. It's a pretty amazing speech, isn't it? Once you get past the pants. Anyway... John chapter 14, I've skipped a couple chapters as we go through the gospel of John, and um, I'm going to reference the clip here a little bit later, but I skipped a couple chapters because uh, we, 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 last week we looked at chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, or 11 and 12, we, we continue to see the ministry of Jesus separate people. Uh, Jesus has a lot of enemies at this point. And he separates because of belief or unbelief. And remember last week I talked about the fact that unbelief is a worldview that is defended. Some of you are in this room and you're, you're investigating the claims of Christ and the truth is you're still defending your unbelief. And I hope this morning as we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ that your unbelief will come down and you'll believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because there's no greater freedom than to know the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so I skipped over a couple of chapters because the the uh, the the enemies of Christ are now building, and I jumped to 14 because we're gonna spend several weeks in chapter 14, 15, and 16, because we have these this incredible speech of Jesus Christ to his disciples, and it's only recorded here in the Gospel of John. It's not recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so I thought, man, we gotta park here for a few weeks, and we gotta hear the final speech of Christ to his disciples before he goes to the cross, rest, rises from the dead. And of course, ascends to the right hand of the Father. I mean, what does Jesus say to his disciples in kind of in the locker room in those final moments? And that's what we're gonna look at this morning in John chapter 14. This is this takes place between the Last Supper and when Jesus is arrested. It's just a, a few hours between when the mockery of a trial of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, takes place. And so in this moment, and make no mistake, it's a tense moment. The disciples know that, that the, the enemies of, of their movement are building. In fact, in John chapter 11, they get ready. this is John chapter 11 is where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And as they go to raise Lazarus from the dead, they all think they're going to die because they're going through a hostile town, Judea. And Thomas actually says, let's go die with him, I guess, you know, they realize what's going on here. The disciples do it's a tense moment. I want you to hear this because some of you here this morning, maybe you're going through a difficult time, a tense season in your life. John chapter 14, verse one, Jesus leans into his disciples. And get this, I love this verse. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Here's the first thing I want you to see. And Jesus is kind of beginning the overview of his final speech to his disciples. He reminds them of rest, of rest. I love that word, actually. Think about it for a minute. Pause for a minute. Maybe you came in here and and you're tired, right? Right? You're you're struggling to stay awake during the sermon. I didn't get much sleep last night. I told the worship team as we were praying. I said I might nod off during my sermon this morning, right? You know, I mean, but doesn't the word rest just sound great, right? Like wouldn't it be great if, if the weight of the world wasn't on our shoulders? You know, providing for the family and getting through life, keeping a roof over your head, and and then like rest for your soul. Rest for your body, having a good night's sleep, you know. You know, I was reading this week uh, in the Old Testament, reading through the minor prophets, which they get a little weird sometimes, but I've stumbled across this verse in Micah. And Micah is building the case that one day, Jesus, God is going to return. It's called the day of the Lord. When, when G, and then, well, now we know through the New Testament, this is the day when Jesus returns. And he's going to restore all things. And he gives us this little glimpse of heaven come to earth. Check this out. Micah chapter 4, verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. Now, whether this is literal or spiritual, it really doesn't matter. It's heaven come to earth, right? And the most important place on earth, it will be raised above the hill and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. And there he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion and his word will go out from Jerusalem. And the Lord, he will mediate between the peoples and he, we will settle disputes between strong nations far away and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will no longer fight against nations nor train for war anymore. I mean, imagine guys, if we lived in a culture where no longer we spend trillions of dollars on national defense, but rather we could spend that on prosperity and peace with the people. Everyone will live in peace and what, church? Prosperity. I mean, imagine everything that you put your hand to. It prospered. It bore dividends. It, you know, it, it provided for your family. They'll be enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees. In other words, everything you put your hands to is going to work out well. So there will be nothing to fear the Lord of heaven's armies has made this promise. It's heaven come to earth. It's the prayer of Jesus when he said, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mike is saying this is, it's going to be an amazing thing. Jesus gets his disciples, says, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. I've got, I'm going to see this thing to conclusion. Now, you may be saying, but he said he was going away and he'd come again when everything was prepared. I mean, what is this, like a 2,000-year a home remodeling project of these rooms he's preparing for us? I mean, what's, what's taking so long, right? Let me, ta- let me make sure you understand what Jesus is talking about he says, I go and I prepare the place. Here's what he's talking about not talking about the 2000 years we've been waiting for his return he's talking about his obedience to the will of God the father coming in the next couple hours of his life okay he's talking about the fact that he's preparing a place where sinners can't go a sinner cannot enter the presence of a holy God. If he's taking us to heaven, if it's heaven come to earth, there's no place for sin in that. It's only obedience to the will of the Father. And so he's preparing a place, a gateway, if you will, for sinners to enter this place of rest with God the Father. What he's talking about, I go to prepare a place His works, his sacrifice, his promise of eternal life, man, they are freely given to us by grace through faith. But the way he prepared for us is through his agonizing death, the brutality of the cross, his cold body putting placed in a tomb, and ultimately resurrection Sunday is the way for sinners to enter the rest of God. And so that very night, he says, I'm going. I'm going to prepare the way. I'm going to make an open gate for you. And if you're here this morning and the weight of the world is on your shoulders, there is rest promised in Jesus Christ. And he prepared the way by his life, death, and resurrection. And he says, man, when I come again, I'm going to bring heaven to earth. And there's somebody that needs to hear that this morning. there's some of you here this morning, man, that life has hit you upside the head. You don't know the future and you're bearing the weight of your future upon your shoulders. I've got really good news for you. Jesus leans in and he whispers to you this morning, don't let your hearts be troubled. Rest. I've got it. I'm the creator, God of the universe. I've seen the beginning from the end. You trust in God, Jesus said, trust also in me. I'm going to see it through from beginning to end. Thomas speaks up at the next point of the speech, which is interesting, kind of going out to kind of got hopefully set the scene of this little locker room speech, right? Jesus is giving. It's kind of with his 11 guys now because Judas has already left to go betray him. And his 11 guys. And Thomas speaks up. He goes, um, we have no idea where you're going, Lord. What are you talking about, right? We don't know where you're going, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is from now on. You do know him and you have seen him. Jesus makes a, I've often said this, if 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 someone held a gun to my head and said, This is the last sermon you're ever going to preach, I would preach John chapter 14, 6 to this culture. Okay? Because Jesus here says, I make, is the exclusive way to God. He makes no bones about it. Jesus is clear. He says, Thomas, I'm talking spiritually here now. I'm like, I'm not going to hand you Google Maps, okay? It's not what we're talking about. Like, uh, we're talking about spiritual things. And by the way, through the Gospel of John, we've seen that over and over where Jesus takes the physical and he turns it into a spiritual conversation because there's something greater going on in your life than just everyday stuff. There's a spiritual reality and there's eternal life that we're talking about. And Jesus says, Thomas, I wanna be clear, you know this, but let me remind you, okay? Jesus says, I am the exclusive way to God. There's no other way to God. And he says this very plainly. He says, I am, Thomas, I'm the way. The way to God is not a religion. The way to God is not to hold on to a belief sincerely. Any belief you want, but just be sincere. That's not the way to God. The way to God, Jesus says, is by worshiping me and me alone. Your heart has to be captured by the person of Jesus Christ if you're going to know the way to God. Jesus is very exclusive and very clear. Jesus says, I'm the truth. Truth's not subjective. Truth is not to each his own. Truth is not unknowable. It's very interesting. I'm going to be, hopefully be preaching on this towards the end of the summer in John chapter 18 where Pilate is crucified. He's kind of in charge of putting Jesus to death. The Jewish leaders bring him, Jesus to the Roman governor Pilate, and he he's getting nervous because he knows there's something supernatural going on here. But he doesn't want to stand up for the truth. And Jesus actually says to Pilate, he "says I've come to bring the truth." And Pilate smirks and he says, "What is the truth?" Sounds like the culture we live in, right? We have a culture says the truth is unknowable. You can't know truth. Not what Jesus said. She said, I'm the truth. You want to know the truth? You worship me. Your heart needs to be captured by me and my work and my saving gospel message. Truth is knowable. A heart captured by Christ will know the truth, and the truth will set that person free. The truth is knowable. She said, I'm the way. I am the truth. And he said, I am the life. You want to have life? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not the American dream. Man, that'll disappoint you. Real quick. It's not finding the perfect person to marry. That's not life. It's not having kids. Life is not found in a better job. Life is not being in full-time ministry. Life is not retiring early. Life is not trying to find all the experiences and recreation that you can possibly fill your heart and soul with. Life is not found in the next hire, the next buzz. Life is not found in getting your degree. Life, both abundant life here on earth and eternal life, is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. That's life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus, now by the way, church, it's the, one of the great things about gathering in community, why we're so big, and why I talked about church membership, You know, because we, wanna, we, we want you to commit. I always say church membership is, doesn't make you closer to God, it's committing yourself to the people in a local church that are committed to God. And, and so it's great because it's a safety in that community. So we gather corporately this morning and I say something that's very bold and it's kind of easy to nod your head and agree, but I'm gonna tell you what I'm about to say is tough when you get outside these doors. Jesus makes exclusive claims to be the only way to God. This is a safe place. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you nod your head to that and you understand, but I also understand we live in a culture that is kicking and pushing hard against that truth. Let me encourage you, church, it is in the gospel of John. Jesus says exclusively, I'm the way to God. Make no mistake about it. If there are other ways to God, then Jesus is not to be trusted. Because he's a lunatic, or he's crazy, or he's a liar right here, right? He makes exclusive claims to God. He's the only way to heaven. Now, these next couple verses are <clears throat> some of the, in my opinion, some of the most discouraging verses in the New Testament. If you've ever coached anybody or you've ever been a teacher, you know, in school or whatever, like these are some of the most discouraging words because Jesus here, he spent three, so Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven, came to earth. He's about 33 years old right here. He spent the last three years with these 12 guys pouring his life into him. One of those 12 guys is still going to betray him. So now he's talking to 11 guys, and these 11 guys still don't get what Jesus is teaching, they still misunderstand. So there's some hope for you if you're a coach, right? Your team's never going to get it, all right? John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the way and we'll show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are, you making, uh, why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my father who lives in me does the work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I did a sermon back in the spring on tough truths in the tough truths in the Bible series. I've encouraged you to get it. We did a sermon. I entitled it, We Believe Weird Things, right? And I talked about how we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is one, but he's revealed himself in three persons. This is one of those places where we look at the teaching of Christ and we understand there's a unity between God the Father and God the Son. It's inseparable, it's eternal, it goes before the foundations of the world, that Jesus was a part of the creation, that he's the creator God in flesh. Is there a mystery in that? Of course there is. But is there clarity in the teachings of Christ? you betcha. He's 100% clear here. Me and the Father, we're, were unified. We're inseparable. Philip, why, I've been with you all this time. That's what I've been trying to tell you. This is God set foot on earth in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you want to know the Father, know me. By the way, there are certain parts of the world, if you go into and you proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you will be put to death immediately, okay? We're blessed to be in a country that doesn't work that way. But this idea that Jesus Christ is, also, is more than just a prophet or a good teacher, but he's actually God's Son, there's a unity, the doctrine of the Trinity. It, costs, it, it, it uh, There are people that give their life for that truth, because it's so radical. In fact, it, in some sense, it's the very idea that got Jesus crucified. Remember that as we've been walking through John eight. Like, like people keep asking, "Well, you're a man. What are you? What are you talking about? You being a man, claim to be God. Like that, that doesn't work." And and Philip here says. Philip says, "Just well, show us the Father." And Jesus says, "What are you? I, what? Are you, what have you been listening to for three years, Philip? That's what I've been trying to tell you." So the beginning of this great speech, this kind of this locker room speech, this inside look at Jesus' final words to his trusted disciples, it begins with rest, it begins with exclusivity, it begins with unity between God the Father and God the Son. Of course, we now we're gonna get introduced to the third person of the Trinity, and we'll look at that in the coming weeks, right? God the Holy Spirit, which leads me to my final point here this morning. And I hope this encourages you because here's the purpose part. This is the Herb Brooke Brooks part. The end of that clip, if you notice, Herb Brooks said something to his team. Remember what he said? I said, You were born for this moment. You're hockey players. This is what you're, you know what that is? That's purpose. That's what, like, guys, this is what you were put here for. Now, you know, the bad news is if, if, that, if you were one of those 12 and you were one of those hockey players and you were, that's all you were born for, once that hockey game's over, you're kind of purposelessness, right? Like, what do I do now, right? So I got really good news for you. Like, like what we're about to talk about is eternal purposes of God the Father given to his children, given to his followers. We are going to walk out of here this morning with purpose, right? And we live for that. That's the abundant life, but there's also eternal life. So Jesus said, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the what? Church life, right? It's purpose, abundant and eternal Right, John chapter fourteen, verse twelve, and by the way we're kinda, we're kind of talking about the the ministry of coastal here right we're talking about us as a community of faith, John chapter fourteen verse twelve Jesus says, "I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do uh, the same works I have done, and even what church greater works we 're going to park there for a minute uh, because i 'm going to be with the Father." Uh, You can ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. All right? And These are some interesting verses. These are some verses that have been, in my humble opinion, they've been abused. So let's talk a little bit about greater works. What is greater works? First of all, the works that Jesus has called his people to, they are greater works, but they're not greater in power. All right? They're not greater in power. I mean, let's think about this for a minute, all right? Jesus Christ was the Son of God. You think there was maybe some uniqueness to the ministry of Jesus Christ here on earth? Anybody think there might be some uniqueness to that? Absolutely. There should be some uniqueness to the ministry of Jesus Christ. All right? He was the Son of God. He just said, You want to see the Father? Look at me. We're, we're one, we're unified. Jesus Christ did some incredible works of power, healing, calming the weather, raising the dead, and raising back to life. In fact, the gospel of John is clear. He said, I've recorded these miracles. In fact, Jesus, when addressing Philip, said, Philip, if you don't understand my teaching, at least look at the power of the gospel that's been displayed through my life, right? Look at the works that we've done here. And John actually says these miracles have been recorded, John chapter 20, verse 30. It's the whole purpose of the gospel of John. They've been recorded so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. There's a uniqueness to the ministry and the power of Christ. And many people take these couple verses, they rip them out of context, they teach all kinds of crazy things about the purposes and the ability of the church. I want to caution us to that. Because the greatest miracle of the gospel of John, Jesus tried to teach us over and over, is not all the healings and the miracles you see. It's the power to change a heart of a person who was dead in sin and is now alive for the things of God and now moves from dying and spending eternity away from God to moving into eternal life and presence of God forever and ever. That's the greatest miracle of all. That's what Jesus is trying to get at all throughout the gospel of John. Does that make sense? So the greater works are not so much greater in power. Now you're saying, Pastor John, you don't, you, you don't believe in a God who can do some miracles? Of course I do, okay? That's not the point of Jesus' teaching here. The greater works is the extent of the works of Christ being carried out through his people, Amen. all right? In other words, Jesus was one man. He was in one location. What we're going to learn about here going forward is how the Holy Spirit is now going to be deposited in the life of the, of the heart of a believer, and so the works of Christ will be carried out to every tribe, tongue, and nation on planet Earth. All right? His ministry is extended through his people. I want to uh, I want to talk a little bit about Coast communion Church for a minute. All right here we are in the middle of the summer, nine o'clock service. Our building's almost full, right? And we've been struggling with that, right? And once fall hits, you know, we've been we're, we, we've been doing two services up to this point, and and our parking's full, and our children's ministry's full, and our seating's full. and We've been talking about wait, we can't let this capacity of our building stop what Christ wants to do through His church. And so, in 2015, we're praying about. It. I want to put it in front of you. Keep praying with us. We're praying about launching a campus. Why? Because it, we believe it's up to us, our local ministry, and do we believe it's our job to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation. Of course it is, but locally, we also want to reach the peninsula, and we want to use this ministry that God has given us to reach the peninsula. So we're talking about doing a campus. Keep praying about that. Why? Because this is the purposes for which Christ has left us here. Why doesn't Why doesn't God just, when you come to Jesus, he just take you to heaven immediately, right? Whew, we're out of here. Wouldn't it be a lot easier, right? Less bills to pay, right? Because we're here to continue to make Jesus famous in our community and in the world around us for people who don't yet know him. That's the extent of the greater works that Jesus has left us here for. To display the glory of God and the power of Jesus Christ and to lift him up. We want to continue to do whatever we need to do to make Jesus famous in our community. And this in this passage, and we're going to unpack this in coming weeks, but I just want to hint and hit on a couple ideas that we're going to be unpacking in the coming weeks, because here are some of the greater works. Ready for this? The greater works of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. One of the greater works is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, Jesus says he's teaching his disciples in this little locker room drama, right? John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, but in fact... This is, this, is, this is hard to even imagine, by the way. I want you to imagine you're the disciples, there's pressure all around, Jesus' ministry is kind of unraveling, you sense it's like we could die for this thing, this agenda that Jesus has, right? He says, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away. Hmm, really? It sure is cool having you here, like raising dead people, because that's what he did in John chapter 11, right? Just a couple, couple days earlier. Especially if I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and God's righteousness and the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. The greater works is that Jesus leaves us with the third person of the Trinity, God's Holy Spirit, in our lives, walking with us all throughout every single day. It's an incredible thought. We're going to unpack that in coming weeks. Greater works is a heartfelt obedience to the word of God. Greater works is a heartfelt obedience to the word of God. Let me, let me tell you something. If you're here this morning and you think you're a Christian, but every time Pastor Sean gets up here and talks about, oh, uh, brings out a passage of scripture and talks about obedience to the word of God, and that seems like a drudgery to you, that's not the heartbeat of a believer. See, when you become a believer, the Bible says you get a new heart and suddenly your heart beats for holiness and righteousness and you can't wait to do the things that God has called you to do so that you can bring honor and glory and worship to him in all things. And if when John gets up here and talks about it and confronts your sin with the word of God and you're like, oh man, it seems like a drudgery, you need to look deeper and ask yourself a very real question. Has my heart really been captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because the Bible is very clear. One of the greater works of the gospel message of Christ is when the Holy Spirit comes in me and gives you a new heart that beats radically for righteousness and holiness and truth. John chapter 14, Jesus goes on to say, if you love me and you obey my commandments... And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. And By the way, here's this deposit of the Holy Spirit thing, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, and he leads you in all truth. The world cannot receive him. Why? Because he isn't looking for him. He doesn't even recognize him, but you know him. Why? Because he lives with you now, and later he will what? Beware. In you, See? so you you long and your heart beats to obey the words of god the greater works is the com- is a, a new heart wanting to obey the commands of god out of worship not out of duty ezekiel chapter 36 Prophet Ezekiel prophesying to this day when the Holy Spirit will come, he says, uh, God says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and you will be careful to obey all my regulations. It's a new heart that Beats for obedience to the holiness and righteousness of the things of God, which, by the way, that's the kind of heart you have to have if we're going to spend eternity with God forever because we've already lived in a world where our hearts don't naturally beat for the things of God, right? And it's broken, and it's a mess, and that's not where God's taken us. Good stuff. Greater works is extraordinary love for one another. Church, we don't naturally love one another, Right? There's some of you don't even like your pastor, right? You just tolerate that guy, right? Just... One person laughed. All right, anyway, right? We don't naturally do that. It's just work of the Spirit to be committed and love towards one another because we're gonna offend one another and we're not always gonna get along. But, uh, but uh, the greater works is that because the power of the Spirit and understanding the, the incredible importance of unity and community, we're gonna work things out together. John chapter 15, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love each other in the same way that what, church? I have done what? Loved you, how much has Jesus loved us? To death, exactly. Yeah, man, we get a little sideways and we'll just go find a church down the street. Maybe quit going altogether. He said, that's... The greater works is that we're the Spirit. Now, and we're committed to one another because we look around this room. We understand you're a part of the body of Christ and you're a part of the body of Christ and you're a part of the body of Christ and you're a part of the body of Christ and every single person sitting here is a part of the body of Christ is important to making Jesus famous in our community. And we can't do it without one another. No one part of the body has it all together. No one part of the body has all the gifts. No one part of the body has all the passions. We're all important to making Jesus famous and we're better together. And so the extraordinary greater works of the Spirit is that we have this extraordinary love for one another. It's incredible. That doesn't work naturally. It doesn't work out in the workplace or in the world, apart from the works of the Spirit. And finally, the greater works is bringing glory to God or bringing God greatest glory. Bringing God greatest glory. Jesus ends this little section here, this little pep talk, his little speech with the disciples. He says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So that the Son will bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, again, this is one of those verses, if we're not careful, we rip it out of context and we say, Man, you just tack the name of Jesus on to any prayer, and man, it's gonna ring true. Now, I, did, I found that to not work this Thursday at noon because I said, Dear Lord, please let the American soccer team beat the Germans. And I did this, I was very clear because I read this. Before, I was actually studying this the day before I said, In Jesus' name, Amen. You know? know, and something happened there. I don't know. Like, this traverse must not be true, right? No, when you pray in the name of Christ, what you're talking about is, I want to make sure that my prayer is centered on making Christ famous, because Jesus says, everything I've done has brought glory to the Father. So when you pray in my name, prayers that are centered on making sure that Jesus is made famous, those are the kind of prayers that I cannot wait to answer, right? Now, those are hard prayers to pray, if you're really honest, Right, Because as Jesus said, everything that I've done has brought glory to the Father. By the way, he's teaching this on the eve of what, church? Brutality. Suffering. See, what we do is we get into a tough spot and we're like, God, just take it away. I do that. Because I'm a wimp. Right? Because I grew up in a Western culture where I'm told that life is supposed to be safe, soft, easy, and comfortable from beginning to end. There's never supposed to be a difficult time. Instead, we need to ask the question, hmm, I wonder if God can use this difficult time to bring God greatest glory. I know some of your stories in here, like you know the body's racked with pain, but in that you're bringing God greatest glory. I know some of you in this, I've watched you, is you know businesses have struggled, but yet in that you're still generous and you still give God greatest glory, and you don't complain and you trust. I I know some of your stories in here where man, you're praying for your kids because they're not yet followers of Christ, but I watch you faithfully and diligently pray, and by the way, praying for a lost soul, I believe is something God is eager to try to work out to bring Him greatest glory. Okay. It's a greatest glory prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. And it's a reminder that sometimes that's not always the easy route. Now, can God receive greatest glory through joy or abundance or healing? Of course. And I think that's easy to see. But can God also receive greatest glory through suffering and through sorrow? And last week we looked at it where Paul said this through life, which he calls momentary, the, the t- difficulties he calls momentary and light compared to the weight of glory. Okay? So can God receive greatest glory in all things? Of course. Let me finish this sermon by asking you this. What do you think brings God in your life greatest glory? Is it the good times or the difficult times what, in your life? What's, bring the, what's brought you probably the the best teaching moments, the easy times or the tough times. Most of us, if we're honest, would probably say, the tougher times actually really taught me a few lessons along the way, right? In fact, I think it's one of the things that makes soccer such a great sport. Uh, Americans don't like it because it's not high scoring. So why it's not all that. It's been popular during the World Cup, but generally it's not that popular because there's not a lot of scoring, right? One of the things I love about soccer is that, like you go through long periods of time and then finally the goal goes in, right? It's a, it's that long wait that build up makes it so great, right? Could it be that that's kind of what God's doing here through life. Like, it seems like a long time, and man, it's difficult. But man, when we see Christ face to face, when God's kingdom comes, to earth, you're going to go like, it, it was worth the wait, right? It was well worth the wait. So let me, let me throw a couple things at you, and then we'll close with prayer. You've had a tough day at work, you come home with a tough day at work, the boss has been a jerk, and that happens everywhere in the peninsula except here at Coastal Community Church, um, <clears throat> So, okay, You're, you come home, your husband or your wife or your kids or kids, your parents are getting on your nerves, right, and all you want to do is like flop in the lazy boy and just chillax, like you've earned it, right, let me ask you something. What in that moment, that ordinary, mundane, day to day life thing, what in that moment brings God greatest glory? Dying to self and serving others, maybe? If you're like me you know you're in a hurry remember oh man i got to run by the store and pick this up you run into the store you 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 get your one little item right and you scope out the checkout lanes right and you find the shortest one because you know it's going to be quickest and you get and as soon as you get in that line uh that Fred cashier asks for a price check right and and then they, they don't know how to operate the register and that kind of thing and then you get up to that person that's working there you know maybe a teenager Maybe a single mom trying to make ends meet. Maybe someone whose education didn't go quite the way they had hoped. What in that moment brings God greatest glory? You're single. You've moved out. You're now at college. You go out on a date, right? And you're out on that date. What in those moments brings God greatest Glory. You're on a business trip, you got the laptop, you got the TV, you can view whatever you want. What brings God greatest glory? You're working with the opposite sex, right? And the conversation has the opportunity to be flirtatious. You have to ask yourself in that moment, what brings God the greatest glory? Every single dollar that passes through your household is yours to do with as you please. It's your money that God has given you to steward however you want. How do you use those finances to make sure that you bring God greatest glory? Jesus said greater works. You know what sometimes I think that means? In the ordinary, there's no ordinary. In the mundane, there's no mundane. There are day-to-day opportunities. Moment by moment opportunities to bring God and bring Jesus Christ greatest glory for all things. That's purpose. Let me turn Herb Brooks for you. You were made for this to worship God in all things. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, it gives me so much hope. There's nothing about my life, there's nothing about my day-to-day that is meaningless. Wow. I can live every moment and bring you praise and worship and glory, God. Thank you for that opportunity. Forgive me for the times, God, that I, uh, I don't do that quite so well. God I, I leave here today with a, empowered by the, the person of the Holy Spirit, the advocate. And I leave here today, God, with rest and I leave here understanding the exclusivity of Christ. I leave here today understanding that Jesus is unified with the Father, and I leave here today with purpose to extend the work of Jesus Christ. Moment by moment, day to day, every moment is an opportunity to bring God greatest glory. Even as we leave here, God, as a community, as we speak to one another, as we file down these hallways, God, we have opportunity to bring you greatest glory. Thank you for those opportunities. Thank you for the gospel of Christ that redeems and buys back all things, even the ordinary, even the mundane. And it's in Jesus name I pray. Amen. Churches is our um, offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. We are. I just want you to know we are not after your money. This is just one of the ways we worship God at Coastal Community Church. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, you're certainly welcome to give, but don't feel any obligation. As a guest, we'd love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin as a tear-off, and uh, we'd just like to send you a thank-you card for coming. If you've been thinking about membership and what's the next step in membership, t- uh, fill out that tear-off, and we'll make sure we get with you this week and talk to you about how... Uh, you can pursue membership at Coast Community Church. If you're here this morning and you need to talk to someone or pray with someone, you just your heart's heavy, you haven't found rest, you'd like to have rest, and you'd like to just pray with someone, we always have one of our prayer team members sitting up here in the front row. They wear a purple shirt. You can come up during the offering time and come up after service. Or they would love to minister to you in that way. Joey.